Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit newroom.org. This is the most difficult thing I've ever talked about in front of you um, because I'm still on this journey. It's really some of the thoughts and feelings and experiences are still really fresh and relatively recent for me. So, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what all will come out, but it's going to be awesome because the Holy Ghost is in there. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I was, I was born on the mission field. My parents were missionaries. They were, um, we didn't call them that, but they were pastors, or, or my dad was. And um, they're awesome. <laughs> um, I grew up in my household, in my home. Um, a love for the Word of God was really cultivated. I used to, my dad used to sit between my brother and I's rooms at night when we would get in bed and he would read the Bible to us. Sometimes he would play his guitar and 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 read the Word of God and um, so it was super sweet. And when I got older, I remember sitting with my dad and he would he would read the Bible with me and he would unpack scripture for as long as I would sit there. Um which sometimes was a while. And so I, I, this love and desire and hunger for the word of God and uh, some level of understanding of it, um, even just, just basic knowledge, um, a really rich, rich foundation in my home. And um, then I would go into a church setting, which if you're a pastor's kid, you're in all the time. <laughs> you feel like you live in church. And um, I, I in, in the tradition that I grew up in, the only place I ever saw a woman uh, do anything in terms of leadership or ministry was with children teaching Sunday school, or cooking and cleaning in the kitchen, or, you know, taking care of things um, that needed to be just those kinds of details. And so what I realized now started happening to me that I, I didn't realize then is that there began to be a divide in my heart and my understanding of spiritual things. So at home, there was access to spiritual things. But in church, which seems to be the place where that would have its expression, I couldn't, nor could any grown woman, uh, have any expression outside of those, those two formats. And so, so what, what started to grow in me, like I said, is this divide. It's, it's like this is, this is God life. This is spiritual life. And everything else is everything else. And so in everything else, I just, I had divorced in my mind that God was in everything else. 
because this is where spiritual things get expressed. And so something was stifled, shut off, had no expression because it was poured into me and then there was no, I saw no outlet. I saw no outlet in the secular world and I had no outlet nor had an example of an outlet like that in church world. And um, so I've, I'm kind of growing up in this and I'm kind of living a double life in a way because uh, I'm being what I think is pleasing to God and to my parents in church setting and everywhere else I'm just, I don't know, I'm just figuring it out. And it began to be a really mixed message, really confusing to me. I didn't know it was confusing, but it was like there were parts of me that weren't valid. I, I don't have a better way of explaining it. Some of you are nodding because you understand what I'm saying. Um, and for example, I don't, please don't be impressed. I went to a really small high school, but I was valedictorian of my class. And so when you're valedictorian, you have to give a speech at graduation. And I was terrified of that, number one. And I even went to my guidance counselor and said, can I not do that? And he said, well, do you want to give up your award? <laughs> I was like, well, no. Uh, and so I had to do it. But you have to understand then, I'm on a podium with a microphone and I'm supposed to give a sp some inspiring speech. And I, I quoted scripture and I talked about God because that was what was in my heart to talk about, but that shouldn't have been allowed. Does that make sense? Because this, this is, well, somehow this is secular, so that's okay. And there's a room full of men and women, and somehow that's okay for me to quote scripture and talk a little bit about it in that setting, but certainly not inside of a building with the word C-H-U-R-C-H on it. And so, you know, we, we used to, we love potluck. I still love potluck. <laughs> The old school kind, not where you buy something at Tom Thumb and bring it. Um, the old school kind, where it's like the certain ladies always have their one dish and it's so good. <clears throat> but, you know, it's like, it's like, hey ladies, come cook, come serve. But, but you cannot stand up and pass the communion plate but you can serve us dinner and you can clean it up. And you just start to take a message that you only have value and worth and validity in these very limited sections. And by the way, why would it be okay for me to teach a child which should be a super important thing to teach? and not appear. That's weird. That doesn't make sense. Children should be the most, we should care the most about who's teaching the children. <laughs> then we wouldn't all grow up with our issues. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, 
So there's this confusion. I when I went to college, I went to a college of the same of the same denomination or tradition that I grew up in. And um I need to say I'm really thankful. It, it sounds like I'm bashing. I'm thankful for so many things about my heritage, but I I'm not going to be I'm not going to lie to you about it either. Um, so I, I go to college and I had a really hard time picking out a major. I just couldn't land on something that I really wanted. And the reason why is because I had things in my heart that I wanted, that I desired, that I was interested in, that I could potentially be good at, that I had never been given permission to pursue. I remember I sat with an advisor and he said, well, well, um, what are your, what do you like? What do you like to study? What gets you excited when you go to, in your, um, your, your, what do they call those? Your first class, your gen ed classes. And so we were required at Christian school to take certain Bible courses. And I said, well, those are my favorite. I love, I can't wait to go to this class and that class where we study this, this book of the Bible or this area of religion. And uh, I don't know if it was, I don't remember who said it to me, honestly, but it was said to me, well, what would you do with that if you were to have that major? Well, I mean, I guess I would look for a husband because that's what you go to college to do, right? I mean, that's kind of how I thought. I, did, I didn't have a, a, any idea of being able to do something beyond just being a wife and being a mom and I don't dog that's all I am right now I mean I don't I don't mean all I am but I don't have a job is what I'm saying and I don't I'm not down on that I think it's beautiful that I get to do that I'm really thankful but life there's more to life amen like my kids are going to grow up and leave one day I won't be a busy mom all the time um I've learned since then that what was playing out in me as I became an adult was what happened after the fall. It's what happened uh, when God spoke to Eve and when he spoke to the serpent. And I just want to show this to you quickly. Y'all pray for me. I can't, this baby is pushing on my lungs. Um... Can you go to Genesis chapter 3? So we know, we, if you're a female, you're like, we know she ate and she convinced the man to eat it. We know she was deceived. Got it. <laughs> Which makes her really powerful. You have to wonder why the enemy went after her her ability to influence or convince. It'll kind of make you think a little bit. The power that you hold. So he says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is where he's talking to the serpent, but he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Or different versions say your desire, I think the NIV says your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And I realized as I was becoming an adult and trying to figure out who I was, that this was driving me. This, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Because I found myself in college not being able to pick a major, not being able to land on something and thinking, I just need to find a husband. And that's not a conscious thought. I, hopefully nobody has that conscious thought, but you're kind of operating out of that. And so you have the whole scenario, girls, you know, it's like the MRS and ring by spring and all that stuff. And so the, that began to drive me, thinking that I, that would validate me. Then I would have something to do. Otherwise, what am I going to do? Just find some career that would be good if I became a wife and a mom one day. <laughs> I feel like the, there's a majority female in the room. Am I right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You know the feeling? Here's what happened to me down the road. I just, this, this thing was driving me, controlling me, and um, I was just trying to find my way. I was kind of floundering. And uh, I met, I truly met Jesus. I, I truly met him. And when I really met Jesus, he became my loophole, my answer to Genesis 3. He became truly the husband that I had desired, and he could rule over me, and it would be the best thing ever. And I realized today that one of my favorite stories, you know, when... I think Michael touched on it last week, but when we read about Mary and Martha, and it's always under this teaching, like, don't be a Martha, don't be a Martha. But to me, the thing that is so powerful about it is what Jesus, especially for women, especially in that time, but even in my day, for Jesus, a man, to say, what I value in you is not you hurrying around to make me a great sandwich. What I value in you is you communing with me. And then when he says to her, he says, Martha's complaining. <laughs> and, uh, and he says to Martha, he says, Mary's found the better thing, and then he says this phrase, he says, and it will not be taken from her. And I feel I'm just continually undone that what I have with him can never be taken from me. No person, no circumstance 
It can never ever be taken from me. And I think for the Lord to come in the culture that he came in and to look at a woman who would be so audacious to sit there at his feet when she really should have been rushing around to serve him, for him to look at her and affirm it and go, this is what matters to me. This is what I value. And by the way, everyone else, I just want you to know it won't be taken from her. And so I'm happy to make a potluck, but I'm so thankful that I don't just get to work with felt boards in the back room. I'm so grateful that I feel like one of the tricks of the enemy for anyone who grew up in a similar setting as I did is one of the tricks is that spiritual things are reserved for a man. And so you have this cut off place where you don't get to really know God and commune with him. And I don't really care. Like I'm, I'm thankful that I feel like this is one of my callings to do what I'm doing right now, but honestly, I don't really care as long as that one thing won't be taken from me. I think um, women, you know, he says he says that he'll he tells the serpent he'll put enmity between the serpent and woman. And you can look through history and see that. Michael was showing me an article just now. Do you have that? It says, it says that they were doing a, a, let me just read this chunk to you. <clears throat> it was an article in the New York Times and it explained how demographic scientists can predict more or less, how many males and females will be born anywhere in the world? I'm guessing it's 50-50. Genius. <clears throat> it said, but recent statistics show that as many as 100 million little girls are missing in today's generation worldwide, killed by their families because of their gender. And it goes on to talk about selective abortion. And then even in other countries, when, like, when a son gets sick, they'll seek medical attention, do whatever it takes financially, but not when a daughter, it's okay if she dies. And so we see, I mean, thank God you're here today. And we're not in a world like that, okay? The I mean, we're, we are not, but others are. And there's horrible things happening to women all over the earth. Things, unspeakable things are happening all over the earth. And all I know is that that's not going to stop. And there are those of us, there's some of you that you're called to make a difference in those realms. And I'm excited about that. And I say go. But the reality of... of of that enmity, en I hate that word. The reality of that enmity is not, it's not gonna go away, except Jesus. Except Jesus, he's just, he's, he's standing in that place. 
and he's become the loophole and the great liberator. I don't even, I mean, imagine the throne room, imagine all those little girls in the throne room. It's a beautiful thought. I was, <laughs> we were uh, in India a couple years ago and they have, their traffic was nuts in the city. They have, scoot, they're on these little motor scooters zipping in and out of traffic and it's crazy. And I noticed that the men were wearing helmets, but the women weren't. And uh, my friend who lives there said, well, the men are required to. And I was like, and <laughs> the women aren't. It might take away from how they look. So if you get a brain injury, at least you looked good when it happened to you. But the value, and, and I think even in, in our culture today, it's a different, there's a different form of bondage. There's a different form of ways that the enemy is getting at women and is enslaving them as per these, this curse and these words. And it's in objectifying, it's what Michael was referring to, it's in, I just better try to be the sexiest person alive. Your desire will be for your husband and will rule over you. And the women are in a rat race of how can we, how can we meet that standard? You know what I'm talking about? And yet Jesus is still liberating us from that. He's, I, I challenged everyone this morning, but I would challenge you, go through the Gospels and study every single time that Jesus spoke or, or, or related with a woman. It will mess you up. How those, even, how those accounts are even in our Bible, considering the culture that was in, is outrageous. The woman, <laughs> the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the woman who was kissing his feet, how, that's embarrassing. That's weird. And it's really weird for that day. I don't, we can't, like, we don't, we don't have a grid for what that was like. The woman who had been bleeding and grabbed the hem of his garment, that's embarrassing. And yet he said, these he divinely appointed these accounts to be written down for the rest of time so we could have those. And it was on my heart to just speak a little bit to single women tonight, young women, and just 
encourage you that, you know, I remember when I was in, I, I, I was a teenager, I think. This book came out about dating called, I don't know if I'm going to get this right. I think it was called The Rules. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyway, this, it was really popular for a while, and there were all these rules about how to get a man. And it was like, don't, you know, you don't call him first, and you don't, it, it was all these things about how to do it. And, and so if you follow those rules, then you could, you know, you could have any guy you wanted or something. <laughs> and it was all this game where you play hard to get. And it was all this manipulative game, which, by the way, when you put someone in an oppressive, controlling environment, a lot of times the response and the effect is manipulative. They become manipulative and do weird, sneaky, manipulative things because they're under that control and they, they have to have some way to exert control back. And so they become manipulative, which is a struggle for women. Am I right? I... Yes, struggle, passive-aggressive, manipulation, nasty. But a lot of times we're reacting that way because we're in an environment of control or oppression or finding some way to exert control. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> what am I saying? The rules. Here's what I'm saying is that I just want to free you from the pressure of being a woman who would have to play games, who would have to play hard to get. I want to free you to be a woman who finds just this wholeness in Jesus. And you can, you have been, God, when God formed you and fashioned you as a woman, you have this massive capacity to love and give tenderness and passion and energy towards a man. And if you will direct, if you will, th the thrust of what he has put within you, instead of trying to get someone's attention, if honestly, if you will embarrassingly, disgustingly, ridiculously throw yourself at Jesus, you'll never regret it. And the crazy amazing thing is that men find that very attractive. <laughs> it's true. Even I can think of women that I know, like, okay, Abby's a great example tonight. You watch Abby pouring her heart out to God, and you're just like, man, that's so beautiful. A woman free and passionate and totally, like, crazy in love with God is so beautiful. It's like there's a glory resting upon her that's it's irresistible, at least to the right man. You don't want the other ones anyways. <laughs> um, so when I met Jesus, and I heard him say, you know, what he said to Martha, and it won't be taken from her. I was in. It's like in him, 
He had no, there were no limitations, no restrictions, no, in fact, there's something so twisted about the feeling of like, you were made, I made you, but you can't express that love and affection back to me. That needs to be quiet. And that was the message I had unknowingly received. But to be set free to do that is something beautiful. And uh, when I began to know the Lord in that way, I want you to know that it wasn't for me, it wasn't about outward freedoms. It wasn't like, get me a microphone. <laughs> I'm teaching a Bible study. It was an inward liberty that no one can take from me. And it was, I don't really, like I said, I don't really care. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter to me. I'm honored, but it doesn't matter to me because of what I have on the inside. And then it was in that context that I met Michael, and he began to embody Jesus to me, that part of Jesus that I didn't know before. And there were things that he would encourage me to do that no one had ever done before. No one. In fact, one time we were, I try to make this story short, we were on a road trip. We were just dating, and I was finishing graduate school. And I happened to be sharing about a, a girl in my master's program. She was going to medical school after she finished her master's. <laughs> and I was casually saying in the car, isn't that funny that she's doing that? And I don't know why I said it, and I don't know why he responded the way he did, because we had never talked about any of this. But he said to me, well, would you want to do that? And I said, oh, you Something about the way I responded made him more curious. And then he said, you know, because you could. And I'm like... What do you mean I could? He's like, you, I, you could totally do it. In fact, if you want to, I think you should do it. And he said, we, were, we knew we were going to get married at that point, so he, he said something like, I'd love to be a, a doctor and mister. <laughs> He's like, that'd be awesome. And I kind of sat there stunned and he's just driving the rental car and he looks over and I'm weeping and I'm weeping because for the a man and especially a man that was supposed to rule over me to not be threatened by that dream or desire to not be threatened by it but to embrace it and to empower it 
I had not experienced that. I didn't know the power that rested in his ability to unlock something inside of me. And y'all, within 24 hours, I, had, I, I literally had a spreadsheet of, here's the prerequisites I need to take, here's when the classes are offered, here's how much it's gonna cost, here's the schools I'm gonna apply to, this is when I'm gonna take the MCAT, and I'm going. And anyway, to make a long story short, I ended up, uh, I, I got in to the school I wanted to go to, I was ready to go, I went to orientation, and I decided not to do it. <laughs> I haven't regretted it a day. <laughs> we might be paying on those loans, I don't know. But uh, I do know that when that kind of servant leadership that is just like Jesus. You know, can you imagine when he said to them, I don't know, I would love, um, maybe my first question, what did you write in the sand, Lord? What did you write? I wanna know what he wrote in the sand, but can you imagine him saying, you without sin cast the first stone? defending in the most beautiful, honorable way this woman who, I mean, she didn't, I mean, she didn't even deserve it. And yet he's coming, this, this, this hero, this rescuer, this liberator, this great equalizer. And the beauty is that I think that we're gonna have we're gonna have seasons and places where we're gonna be restricted as people, not just women, but as people. We're gonna be controlled, restricted, constrained. Can't. I think there's coming a day where people like us are gonna be in prison. I think my children are gonna experience that. I do, but the beauty is that. This man, this liberator, this equalizer, he's come to live on the inside. And there will be a day where we are all level playing field before him, literally. Where it won't matter. <laughs> I was thinking about Peter and Paul being in prison and praising him. And even when the prison doors open, they're so free that they don't have to run out of the prison doors. That's crazy. But that, that is the kind of freedom that Jesus bought and paid for for you and for me. And so I want to say I'm not like, I'm not rah, rah, rah. <laughs> whatever, feminism, I, like, screw submission, I, it's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I know that not everyone in this room is married to a Michael. I know that there are marriages in this room where there's, it's hard. I know that there are marriages where there's husbands that are 
placing demands on wives. In all kinds of ways. And maybe we, we all come by it in different ways. And we, we all come by it. It's like, well, that's what my dad did. He expected my mom for the house to look this way and the meals to be like this and the children to be like this. And he expected intimacy at certain times when he wanted. So that's what I do. I know that that exists in this room. I know that there are women that are in that. And I'm not counseling you to run away from that. I am counseling you to be in community. And if you need help, to ask for help. I'm certainly not counseling you if you're in an abusive situation to stay in it at all. Come tell somebody. I want you to know, I want to, let me just take you to the scripture real quick and I'll wrap up. I know I'm running out of time. Go to 1 Peter 3. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. 1 Peter 2. Some of these words are kind of hard to hear. But if we'll submit to them, the Holy Spirit will empower us. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. I kind of want to lead you through the way that this passage is lined up because it's in 1 Peter 3 that I always struggled with this scripture. And I finally am not struggling with it because I understand it. I'm learning to understand it. First Peter 2, uh, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is really important. Verse 16. Hear me. Live as people who are free. Hold that in your head because he's about to address people who circumstantially are not free. But he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now he's going to address some different groups from that context. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That's hard. You have an unjust boss? That's hard. For this is a gracious thing when, this is important, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin or beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Okay, so pause. He says, live as free people. And then he addresses slaves. And he says, even if your master is unjust, endure that being mindful of God because you have been given this example in Christ who we know did was perfect and died the worst way was completely misunderstood and mistreated now go to chapter 3 but pretend like there's not the number 3 there because this shouldn't be divided up because he says, likewise. That means I'm continuing the thought, not I'm starting a new thought. So we've got live as free people. He's addressing slaves because you have an example in Christ. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then, gosh, have we heard this before. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I'm going to stop there. I could keep going, but I want to just, I want, I want you to note, by the way, because <laughs> I was always like, gentle and quiet, gentle and quiet, got to be gentle and quiet, gentle and quiet, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> This is not going to go well. <laughs> How many of you can relate? Gentle and quiet, gentle and quiet. Just so you know, that gentle is the, it's the same description of Jesus when he says in Matthew, is it 10 or 11, where he says, come to me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus. <laughs> it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> not reserved for just women. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> gentle. He's gentle. If he can be gentle, I can be gentle because he's living inside of me. I'm not threatened by that. I'm not. It's a privilege. He's asking me to be like him. And this passage is almost scary if you think about, he goes from comparing slaves with unjust masters and then wives with what kind of husbands? I don't know. 
But what is he saying to the husband? I, I mean, that's, it's, it'll make you think a little bit differently than you've thought before. Here's the point. I'm going to, I'm, I'm wrapping up. Here's the point. Jesus has called, if you are, if you walk with Jesus, if you have said yes to him, lay down your life, he is calling all of us to a life of submission. A, li- a laid down life. Not a doormat life, not a controlling life, but a voluntary laid down life. Male, female. We're to be submitted to him and to authorities. And that's how we'll become like him. He's enabling us to do that. And so, you want to come up here? I feel like what we need to do is whatever scenario you find yourself in, can I get the band to come up? Whatever scenario you find yourself in, if you are in a, if you're in a circumstance as a woman and you have amazing men around you and you're free and celebrated and empowered, then you should just give thanks. (laughs) But if you're in anything else, if you're in a scenario where you are being you feel controlled or you feel oppressed, if you're in a scenario where you feel like you're with somebody who's apathetic and uninterested and checked out. I don't, I'm not trying to be cliche, but the answer is Jesus every time, submitting to him, hearing him. What would you have me do, Lord? How can I submit to you as unto you, not unto whomever? but as unto you. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit europe.org.